another episode of the Cosmic Crossfire. It's Gerald coming right back at you once again. Thanks again for listening in to all of our shows. But it wouldn't be a Cosmic Crossfire without my good friend. He is the man of all tricks when it comes to Rob McCallum Films. You got to check out everything that he's doing. And <laughs> he's doing quite a bit at robmccallumfilms.com. Rob McCallum Films on Facebook and Rob Mixob on Twitter. He is my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend. It's Rob McCallum. What's going on, man? Busy week for you, as always. Yeah, that's uh, the, the go to intro, isn't it? Busy, busy, busy. Lots of different things going on. I don't know when it's going to be different. <laughs> it's it's all the same in, in, in this neck of the woods so far, right now. So, Oof, just trying to get caught up as we're, we find ourselves, you know, in the middle of the summer. It's Comic-Con weekend. It's like that midpoint of the pop culture year, right? You know, the All-Star game for MLB is like around the same time. So it's a good chance to take kind of stake of what's going on. And you get a, an event like San Diego Comic-Con that usually drops a bunch of news and kind of forecasts the next quarter and a half of what we can expect to see as we head to the final stretch of the year. So busy going into it and busy coming out of it from, from my point of view. Absolutely. And there's so much more going on around in pop culture, sports, and the whole nine yards. I couldn't agree with you more. But we're here to talk pop culture, and you're the man to talk to, as always, about it. So pray tell, Rob, what's on your mind when it comes to pop culture? Well, one piece of news that I'm sure you've already had a ton of thoughts on, and I know Josh, I'm sure, has thoughts too, and that's Walmart's streaming service that they announced as well. Back to the same comment we seem to make every week, another streaming service. How is it going to be different? Can it compete? Is it going to be worthwhile? Is it too much already? Does Walmart stand a chance at being a player in this space? Who are they akin to in this uh, emerging space? Are they like another Apple? Are they more like a Hulu and Amazon? Clearly, they have the resources and the deep pockets. I think there's also a moral conundrum with supporting a company like Walmart and the, and the dubious history. They probably won't be supporting anti-Walmart documentaries that are out there. I think the one documentary I saw was the, the price of uh, low prices or something like that, the price of staying cheap or something. Really good documentary about the impact of Walmarts and communities and what it does. Check it out if you can. What were your immediate thoughts when you heard that Walmart is considering or starting to build the infrastructure for a streaming service? Well, Voodoo has been around for a little while now already in some form or another. It just hasn't been promoted to any sort of huge length. Uh, it was something always thought of as an aside and as almost like a bonus feature for the company. But Voodoo is something that is really, I guess, something that they're looking forward to. They're actually making a nice dent when it comes to online retail because they're focusing on challenging the Amazon two-day shipping by offering their own free shipping without having to do the actual Prime membership, which uh, they're, they're, they're actually trying to undercut Amazon every single turn. They're getting away with it because they are the, the world's largest what would you say? A brick and mortar retailer would probably be the best way to say it at this point in time because they're no longer. I, the I, I think. I mean, Amazon is obviously the world's largest uh, online re retailer, but I think you could say 
overall all-consuming retailer is still Walmart, given that they have both brick and mortar and, and online offerings, despite the few Amazon stores that are out there. Yeah, exactly. So I think at this point in time, it is a smart move that they're actually going to go all in with the Voodoo service and and finally not go uh, halfway with it like they've been doing before and in some form or fashion, almost treat it, treating it like a token aside. They've dabbled with a lot of things to compete with specialized services. I remember the times when they've tried to, I guess, maybe put a little bit more emphasis on the game trading aspects on video games to compete with GameStop, Best Buy, and all that. So I hope they go more all in on this as a heavy competitor to Amazon than they have in the past with other things. And just when they dabble, it doesn't work for them. When they go all in, that's when they really get something out of it. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I look at the quarterly reports for Nintendo Quest and some of the other films and uh, Voodoo's been on there and it's always kind of been in a lower category. It's within the top 10 and I should say there are a ton of different online VOD type platforms to to consume content. They've been in the top 10, but always like seven, eight, nine, it's, never, it's never, never really high. Priority. No, it's never yeah. been a huge priority for them. It's something that they've just had there. Not even a lot of the, or, or a great deal of the Walmart shoppers themselves un, uh, even knew it existed. Uh, only if you were really knowledgeable about the scene did you know it existed and that it actually had a pretty decent lineup for the, for the size it was allotted. Yeah, it's it's always been just justifiable enough to get a title on their platform because there's a certain cost to to put content on there, and you hope that you recoup it. And uh, with the digital realm, it's it's not as much as you know making uh, you know a million DVDs and getting it out there and hope that they all sell to cover the cost of actual manufacturing. Still, it, it's just enough to justify it with Voodoo. What I think is going to be a really interesting thing, especially in the wake of what Amazon is doing with price, and you mentioned you know, the Prime subscription versus free two-day shipping without having to have to subscribe given what their bottom dollar is and how well Walmart does in other areas, is what are they going to do for indie content? Uh, Amazon Prime Video, uh, I'm a huge fan of the ease in which an indie creator can approach them and go through the steps to get their own content on there and be a part of that entire process. Will Walmart open the doors and allow indie creators to put their own titles on there in a do-it-yourself distribution method the same way that Amazon does? And if so, what will they be able to give back to the indie filmmaker? Amazon got a lot of flack in February when they went 15 cents per hour up to this point down to six cents per hour. So if you had a film that was you know, an hour long, you were going to get paid 15 cents for every minute that was streamed on Amazon Prime. Amazon took that in February and turned it down to six cents an hour. Okay. So they cut it by two and a half times and the indie community cried out saying, you're killing us. You're barely giving us anything anyways. And now you're dialing it back by two and a half. And Amazon's response was, well, we make Japan and Germany and the UK available to you. But those markets, especially with Amazon, aren't nearly as rich. And even though the cost in those markets and, and what they're paying is all on equal footing now to about that six cents per hour in their native currency, it doesn't equate the 15 cents per hour to that huge audience that existed in the US. So much like we've seen in the gaming sphere really develop over the last 10 or 12 years where the indies 
can rise to the the cream of the crop on, on PlayStation Store and Xbox Live because those platforms are out there. I think Walmart, if they really want to make a dent in it, make it easy for indie filmmakers to get their content on their site, pay them reasonably well, not just competitively, and let the indie filmmakers be that secondary way to drive traffic. Because if I've got a film on this platform and they're paying me well and they're paying me more than the other guys, I'm certainly going to tell people to go over here and watch it then go over there or leave it up to uh, the audience to find it. Plus also you got to consider how much are they going to really invest into original programming as a whole when it comes to what Netflix and Amazon are doing. Amazon, you've, you've, you and I have gone over the fact that they're spending half a billion dollars on a new Lord of the Rings series. And also we've spoken at length regarding the how many, I think it's $13 billion over the next period of time that Netflix is spending as well. How much is Walmart willing to invest in Voodoo with new and original programming you can only find there? Yeah, what is the strategy? Are they going to enter like Netflix and be heavily reliant on third-party content from producers and outside companies until they can figure out how to produce their own content? Or are they gonna jump right in and basically enter the war of exclusivities what we see in consoles between Xbox and PlayStation, where it's all about the, the exclusives that you get there. Now we have that on the streaming side. Hulu's got their own, Amazon's got their own, Netflix has their own, and you know, HBO's kind of in that realm now that they have a standalone app in the US at least. Is Walmart and Apple for that matter really going to just enter their own exclusivity in there? And again, when is the, the point of saturation gonna happen? We've got CBS, of course, still in there. DC's coming in there. Disney's new thing is coming in there. Throw in Walmart, and we've already got almost 10 giant content providers just ramming content down our throats. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It's it, There's too much event TV fatigue going on right now. There's a lot to watch. It's a good problem to have when there's so much good content out there. But what that does is really drive the price down for the people that are producing it because you want it out there, you can be that flagship Walmart first kind of production thing, or you can be Hulu's next big thing, or you can be that. And people are going to have to basically take sacrifices to compete with other things on there. Or the price of that gets passed off to the customer, which right now is already like, you know, we're talking dollar fast food menu. It doesn't cost a lot to have these subscriptions. It's still around the $10 a month range for any of these. So to have them all, you're still looking at a hundred bucks a month, which is about your average cable package. So where are we really going with all the streaming stuff? Netflix alone now doesn't replace the cable package like it once did. Now you usually got to have two or three of these to get all the hot shows, the things that people are talking about, or you're missing out. And you didn't even mention the, what as far, as far as the sports package when it concerns. Right, the- ESPN now yeah. doing their own thing. And in Canada, yeah. there's ESN package now, which is the subsidiary uh, ESPN, which is kind of a joke. Or, you yeah. know, Sunday Ticket or Center Court or Center Ice or all that. UFC five pass or anything of that nature. So <laughs> it's cable all over again, my friend. It's just cable all over again. People who wanted to cut the cords to save costs may in the long run may not be doing so. I think it's going to be very much akin to video games like we've seen for the last 20 or 30 years. You're just going to pick the console that you want, the, the subscriptions you want to go with. And yeah, you might not get to see that show now. You might not get to see that show until later. But you know what? You're going to have enough to watch with whatever choice that you get. If you can afford that secondary option to kind of fill in the gap, you'll probably do that. I think uh, the PS3 360 Wii, Wii U era, you know, people had two consoles o- over the, the bridge of the three, three and a half. And that got them through the majority of games. If they missed out, you know, it's okay because there, there's other things to do. And now in the current era of gamings, 
Xbox, Switch, PS4, you get two of them, you're going to have more than two-thirds of the exclusives that are out there anyways. And that's enough to fill any gamer's kind of time, especially when you have huge games like Fortnite, which just take up everybody's time. It's wicked. That it is. And I know for a fact that Douglas Hoyobu has a lot to say about that as far as our discussion from a previous Cosmic Crossfire episode in regards to that and also Sony as well. So Douglas wow. Hoyabu has comments and, and opinions on, on Sony? Never. I can't tell you one way or another whether or not he agrees with me or whether or not he agrees with you. Well, I can tell by your smile and the chance that you've had to rework your argument in your head, you probably dragged him to your dark side because Dougie's a bit of a bully and, you're, and you want him to gang up on me over the cyberwebs. I get it. I get it. You just have to listen to it and find out. Oh, there you go. Uh-huh. Keep keep me in eager anticipation of online bullying. I've had enough of that as of late. I'm good. Are you sure? I'm sure. Mm, nothing's better when grilling your favorite meal than adding some delicious Wheelie Q rubs, seasonings, and gluten-free barbecue sauce. Made with the finest ingredients, Wheelie Q products pack a ton of flavor to your meals, whether it's ribs, chicken, steak, hamburgers, fries, or vegetables. To get your hands on some of these tasty Wheelie Q items, head on over to www.wheelieq.com and a portion of all profits made will go into finding a cure for spinal muscular atrophy. Pop Culture Cosmos listeners, Act now and get 15% off your order just by entering the promo code POD1, that's P-O-D, and the number one at checkout. For the tastiest food on the grill, nothing's better than Wheelie Q items today at wheelieq.com. I got excited for the first time forever because I actually chose to participate in this year. And that's something that happened on July 16th called Prime Day. Now, this, of course, ties back to our discussion earlier about Amazon Prime. This is their mid-year Black Friday, like Cyber Monday sale, where they reward all their Prime members with awesome deals that are exclusive to them. And even have faster shipping on some options, depending on where you're located, which is really cool. But this year, Prime Day started at 3 p.m. Eastern time on July 16th, when people visited the site at 3.01, it was down. When people visited the site at 3.15, it was down. And I know it was down still in Canada till 4.45 p.m. So there's an hour and a half of sales. And of course, much like their Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales on Amazon, there's limited quantity for some of these things. And then you're forced to join a wait list to see if it becomes available again. Their servers were not ready for the impact. Is this an indication of how popular it is? What people were hoping for? Are they trying to shop ahead for certain things? What, what do you think the server overload really reflects? Well, like you said, it reflects a lot about how Amazon was not ready to handle the kind of popularity that Amazon Day has become. I know we discussed it on the Monday episode on what it was going to evolve into. You, you know, a lot of the advertising and promotion work that has gone into making Amazon Prime Day a reality and a big time reality on that is the fact that, look, It's the special one day a year where you as an Amazon Prime member get to go ahead and spend money on all these great discounted items. In the past, 
there were some issues in regards to the selection of items and quality of items. I mentioned that in the original year, 2015, there were a lot of original Xbox, PlayStation 2 products that were shown instead of what gamers actually wanted to see. They've taken those steps to make it more worthwhile on every single platform that they sell. 2017 really seemed like something that was going to evolve into as far as a great shopping experience in 2018. But like you said, it got off to a really bad start, even though Amazon is trying to put the spin on it, saying it was their biggest shopping event ever. They are really happy with its success. They apologize for the inconvenience that was given. But you're right. Even the largest online retailer out there, Amazon, when there is a huge demand like they had, even they at times are not able to handle the kind of output that people want to give them. Did you actually buy end up buying anything from Amazon Prime this year? I was in transit, so unfortunately I couldn't. But I know Josh and I had spoken on the show, and he said he had his gift cards already. He was rubbing them as we spoke, and he was ready to go ahead and, and spend a lot of plastic cash on a lot of great things. And like you said, it, worldwide it got off to a bad start. But I see this evolving even larger because this has been a huge success overall for Amazon Prime Day. I really think, Rob, I I don't know, I'm just guessing here. I'm just speculating. But I think it's going to evolve into something where there, it it probably will be at least two times a year. And you'll see something done in the spring in regards to a a second Amazon Prime Day. I think you're going to see it probably be a quarterly thing, the summer sale, you know, spring and then Prime Day. I think that's the easiest way to situate it. And that way it kind of gets people excited about what's coming up. It gives companies a chance to market it a little bit better. Almost like the Steam sales that happen, right? People kind of get excited about that. I was pretty disappointed with the selection of stuff there. I had been buying a good chunk of stuff off Amazon as of late because we moved into our new house or here. And you never know what you don't think that you need until you get into a new place and realize that you don't have it. So, you know, buying things like toilet brushes and plungers and like baby changing mats and different things for the whole place, right? So Amazon's the go-to, nice two free day shipping here, even in Canada. The selection in Canada stuff is not what it is in the US, unfortunately. Some companies just won't ship despite, you know, extra charges on duty or shipping. So it's really downplayed in terms of what you can get here. But the, the, the cost of membership isn't going up in Canada either, like it is in the US. So there is a bit of a trade-off there, at least until it gets more established here. We don't have Amazon Prime now either, which I wish we did because that would save a lot of time as well. And I know our, our good friend Doug loves using Amazon Prime now especially when there's events at the store and stuff. We need a little extra, you know, some some cookies or snacks to help celebrate. So I know he's a big fan of that, and I was a big fan of it in Vegas as well. This year, I actually, the only purchase I made on Amazon Prime Day was some SD cards for my camera. So I was able to pick up some, some SanDisk stuff because they were really heavily discounted. And I saved about 150 bucks across the board on the two cards I picked up. So I was pretty happy with that because I'd been kind of on the fence about having to drop a good chunk of change on new mem- on memory cards for uh, 4K uh, recording, but this gave me a good option to do that. But that's literally the only thing I saw. And I'm talking, I needed everything from houseware stuff to bathroom stuff to kitchen stuff. And of course, the fun toys that we all love. Well, you got to remember as well that they have recently purchased Whole Foods and they're going to incorporate that even more. They incorporated it to a small amount on this Prime Day but they need to incorporate that more just just so they can drive in more sales to Whole Foods here in the U.S. And I see them incorporating it more with a Prime Day. And I had mentioned that on Monday as well, that it could evolve into a quarterly type deal. 
So I, I agree with you. I think this is something that they're going to be doing instead of a just a prime day, just like you said, spring sale, summer sale, et cetera, et cetera. And it could become one of those times of the years where people just need to go ahead and, and be wary of, of what's on sale, when it's on sale. And there's, there's still obviously from what you're saying, there's still a selection issue problem. And that's something that they have to try and reconcile going forward because they're never going to be able to get to the kind of platform that they want if they still keep trying to sell things that people don't want and don't put things on sale that people do want in mass. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it might be the kind of thing in order to get some of the bigger companies and the bigger ticket items in there, maybe don't make the cut that you're hoping to on them, but the ability to advertise what goes on in prime day will drive your subscriptions up, which is what you want ultimately anyways. You may lose it on the single item, like the, I don't know, the five or 10% that you think you're making there, but get it on the subscription. So if people see that they're saving like two or $300 on a really quality TV or something of the same milk, the kind of things that people salivate for on Black Friday, get them on there, get those companies on there, waive some of your fee to get people excited about it. At the, at the very least, you know, you can find a way where maybe it's a quantity versus cut thing. So you won't take anything unless X number of units get sold from this company after a certain point. So you guarantee they can sell $5 million or something before Amazon gets their cut. You know, find different ways to make it exciting for the audience and then you'll have a bigger audience that wants in on it. But be ready for it because your servers weren't ready for it this year and it's still not a thing that you're really doing well enough for the consumer to care all that much outside of the people that are shopping it anyways. I uh, Josh agree with you wholeheartedly because he focused in on the memberships that were going to be gained and a lot of people that were going to go either try the 30-day free trial or just get a, a quick $12.99 membership and just forget about it and just it keeps adding on and on and on for Amazon and that's where they make a great deal of their money is in the memberships and that seems to pile up even more for I guess Jeff Bezos who is now by far and away the richest man on earth. I think he's over 150 billion, if I'm not mistaken, last when I read earlier this week. If I only had his phone number for a few measly thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars to make a few films, if only. If only, if only, my friend. If only. If only. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. This year, we're set to release Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull drops this year and is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. So I've got the most shocking news ever for our next segment here, Gerald. There is a Batwoman TV series in the works at CW. Imagine that, CW developing another DC show. You would have never guessed it. It's, it's going to blow everybody's mind that DC has another show that's being developed for the CW, of course. Batwoman is not Batgirl, who's grown up, and they just changed her name. Batwoman is an entirely new character. I believe her character's name is the alias is Carol Kane. Her character will appear in a crossover event that features Arrow and Flash and Supergirl and Legends or Leagues of Tomorrow or whatever it is, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. It's, it's coming in December, the crossover event that will introduce the character. And of course, they're going to use this as an opportunity to spin off the character into her own show, which, you know, given that Supergirl was really successful, 
let's see the Batman version of that or, you know, something set with the Bat canon. And you know my feelings on let's do every kind of Batman show that doesn't feature Batman but is tied to Batman in some possible way and, of course, put it on the CW. And here we have another one. What are your thoughts on this groundbreaking, not surprising news and destination? Well, uh, obviously it doesn't surprise me because it's taken over the CW DC has as the... Why do they call it the CW? Why don't they just call it the, the DCW? And why is there a need for a DC streaming service? So you can play Titans. That's going to go ahead and, and say uh, expletives at Batman because you were talking about that it doesn't have Batman in it, but you got all these shows that surround or, or uh, continuing to try and, and enhance the Batman mythos without the physical form of Batman. And like you've seen with Gotham and that is not CW related that, that does that. Now you have Titans that is coming to the DC streaming service uh, and doing the similar, something similar. And then you have, like you said, Batwoman that. I don't know. It's just I'm very curious about Batwoman as far as what are they planning to do and how are they going to make it different? Than yeah, how are you going to make it cool, different, unique, and not be such a crutch on anything Bat-related? And but are you going to still avoid- have the callbacks because you obviously want to? And are you going to avoid the temptations of bringing everyone in as far as the Flash, Arrow? No, you and- won't because you're going to have those crossover events that seemingly last from November to March. Yeah, exactly. The Legends of Tomorrow and all that. And then it just turns out... How about Legends of Yesterday? That's what I want to see. Where things were more simple, there was only Arrow and Flash. That's all I need. Just those two shows. And when you start doing that, it just becomes another show that's DC-related on CW, which to many people is the reason why they don't watch CW. Yeah, and now at the point, because they have Supergirl, Arrow, Flash, and Legends of Tomorrow... It's like when these characters cross over, it's like, so what have you been up to? Well, <gasps> and then it's this long Ace Ventura exposition to get people caught up. Or they just assume that everybody knows what's going on. Because everybody's, of course, watching all these shows. And this is the problem I had with keeping up with comic books in my youth, where I'd have to read up an issue, whatever, of The Amazing Spider-Man, and then jump over to Spectacular Spider-Man, and then jump over to Peter Parker's Spider-Man, and then... You know, it, it was just a lot to, to keep up with, and it, it was hard to follow the arcs instead of just keeping it all in one book to make viewing easy. Make it easy for me, people. I get that it's all on the same network, but I don't have three hours to watch superhero dramas every night that are very s- similar in, in tone and feel and vibe because it's all the same showrunners, all the same writers, and all the same developers. So do something that makes me care about this stuff. And it hurts a show like Black Lightning, which of these shows is actually the most original and also it seemingly stands out as a quality show it's it's gotten very good reviews and it seems like a show that on the surface a lot of people would want to watch but it gets crowded in with all those other dc shows so it doesn't really stand out because the fact that it's just been put in with this lineup of all these other dc shows even though it tries a lot to make it stand out on its own without having to depend on the legends of tomorrow and Arrowverse and flash and all that nature. But because it's in there and it's on the CW, maybe people are not tuning into it because they're just so sick and tired. Like you said, of watching another DC superhero drama on the CW. If it had been on another platform, maybe it would have actually find a larger audience that it, that it truly deserves. 
If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. The excitement that everybody can finally have and start developing and let those fanboy dreams run wild because Comcast has finally and officially announced they are not pursuing any of the 20th, 21st century Fox assets anymore other than they're continuing bid to, to acquire Sky in the UK. I'll stop you right there. I too have an issue and have a problem trying to say 21st century Fox. I just want to get that out there myself. It's weird because I've watched like three films in the last four days from 20th century Fox because the logo's there, but now the company is 21st century Fox, so... Yeah, they're not acquiring the, the 20th Century Fox films from the 21st Century Fox library and TV stuff. Exactly. That's just ridiculous. But So the fanboy uh, hopes and dreams can commence because, of course, I'm talking about Marvel Universe's colliding X-Men, Fantastic Four, maybe in some scenario. We talked about that on a previous episode. But Marvel now has a few more assets in their library whenever the deal is officially done. It's been approved by Murdoch. And it's going to happen. And it's probably going to be a year or two to get everything ironed out and figure out what things are still in place and how Disney will happen and get involved with it. But it's happening. Although I am excited very much about the X-Men and all that coming to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the Fantastic Four, possibly getting uh, some new love that will actually substantiate a lot of people's claims on, on how great they are as superheroes. But I am more interested in the rest of the library and how that is going to be utilized. Because we've seen already when it comes to the whole Lucasfilm assets, as far as Star Wars has been focused on, focused on, focused on. Yet we see Indiana Jones, which is this nice property, get pushed and shoved and shoved to the corner. And it's actually been delayed again last week until 2021, if I'm not mistaken. So it's... I don't know. It's just, man, it's just, it's, it's just hard to see the way that they're going to be able to efficiently and profitably utilize all those other properties that would, would you see them actually selling them off or would you actually see them being able to go ahead and somehow properly utilizing it, whether it's on the big screen or for their own streaming service or other streaming services? It all depends in the way that they want to keep control of things. Right. I mean, uh, we saw from the lovely movie, The Founder, starring Michael Keaton, some of the early troubles that McDonald's had was managing all the different franchisees and is in the different states and the different cultures and regions because they all had different things that they appealed to them. And McDonald's vision was very clear cut, like standardized, didn't matter where you were. And people like to do their own thing outside of that cookie cutter approach. So can Disney bring all these new things in? And still keep it under the same creative control umbrella that has made the Marvel Cinematic Universe what it is today. Can they expand that quickly? Or is it just going to be held and shelved until it can be properly assimilated into the pipeline? That's a tough question, my friend. I think we're only going to be able to find out the answer 
within what, maybe a five to 10 year span when we actually will see a lot of these properties in some form or fashion. But there will also be a lot more that Disney is going to leave behind, which may deserve some love as well. But for some reason, Disney may not see it as a profitable enough property for it to be released in any form or fashion. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they want to do with this. I would hate to see like the X-Men and everything Fox relegated to an only like a streaming site or like the A characters are the only things that make it on the big screen and the B characters are what make it on the streaming service because obviously you want people to go to the streaming service. I, I, I tell you this, it's a problem I'm lucky I don't have to solve and one that I get to sit back from a position of criticism and poke holes at because I don't think there's an easy solution for anything. No, no, there is no easy solution to this. But the other franchises within the realm, like the Alien franchise and and everything else that Fox has produced that may or may not be the actual, uh, I guess, uh, choice or affinity of Disney at this point in time, their statuses are very much up in question as far as a relative future for those outlets those identities those characters those those things that a lot of people have enjoyed over the years that may or may not be a part of disney's future what i guess i'm I'm, I'm most curious about isn't what they're going to do with what exists it's what they're going to do going forward how is disney going to wield their power going forward with one less studio to compete against this is the thing that we always caution against right like it's one less place for filmmakers to go to get the green light to get their scripts made what is going to be the outcome of that? Will Disney make less original stuff because they have so much more IP that they can draw upon? Or will they continue to make original stuff knowing that they can balance it out with the IP that they have? So the output that gets created every year is, I think, the thing that's going to be most interesting to see. Will we have the same number of films output from Disney alone versus Disney and Fox? You know well, what I mean? I- like, like if we have 20 films from Disney 20 films from Fox every year, will we still get 40 films or where are we only going to get 20 films or 25 films now? I would probably say it's the latter. I probably say you're going to get maybe 25 to 30 and you're not going to get the same kind of amount that, that Fox and Disney because Disney obviously worries about oversaturation. In fact, we're seeing it now this year when it comes to oversaturation with what happened to a wrinkle in time and solo a star Wars story where Basically, one Disney movie bleeded over another, and you ended up having issues financially with those two not panning out, although there were some other outlining reasons for especially Solo as well. Just because Fox is no longer going to be in that realm doesn't mean there's going to be other entities taking its place. You see what's going on with Amazon. You see what's going on with Netflix, and those studios are becoming larger and larger by the day. We didn't even get to Apple very much with the Oprah deal and what they're going to be doing down the road. Google could really put their dollars into it and gain a larger following with their all of their Android services and YouTube streaming service do something there as well. So yes, Fox is, is pretty much out of the loop at this point in time, but that doesn't mean Disney has can rest on its laurels and oversaturate itself because there's a lot of other individuals that are going to be coming up with a lot of quality things that will take Fox's place as a premier studio in Hollywood at this point in time. The programming is still abound, as you and I spoke about before. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. If Fox does the right steps, it could be big. If they they do the right things, it'll work out for them. To paraphrase my good friend, 
Gerald Glassford. If they do the right things, it'll work out. Okay, so I take an e-ticket every now and then to Cliché Land. Do you have to go ahead and rub it in? No, it's just <laughs> it's just like saying, you know, 50-50 chance. It could work out. It could not work out. All right, fine. <laughs> That'll do for another episode of the Cosmic Crossfire. Let us know your thoughts. Where can they uh, reach out to us? Oh, you online bully you. They can reach out to us at popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Rob McCallum Films on Facebook and at Rob McZob on Twitter. Rob, as always, even though we're online bullying each other, it's been great talking to you, my friend. And I hope to talk to you soon on everything that went on at Comic-Con and everything that's going on in pop culture. Because as you said, not only you are busy, but everything else as well. You want to give us an update before we head on out? No, I don't. Okay. There's, too, there's not enough time to do an update. I got to get back at it. Things are in the works. It's just talk until there's something out there. I will say today marks the five-year anniversary from day one of production on Nintendo Quest. So that's kind of cool. Well, then happy anniversary to you indeed, my friend. It is a great film and people have got to check it out. They've got to either rent it or go ahead, buy it today at robmccallumfilms.com. Rob, as always, my friend, it's great talking to you. All kidding aside, truly appreciate the time you take for us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos and, of course, the Cosmic Crossfire.